You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Well, the street continues. The most seen, most appearances, most knowledge, probably, because he's one of the smartest people on the planet. Uh, Dr. Michael Siegel's back with us. How are you, sir? Glad to have you back. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. That's a mighty fine rocket you got behind you there, sir. Yeah, it's an artist's conception of the Artemis uh, rocket, assuming uh, we, we get there with the SLS and all that. NASA might have a world record on concepts that never actually come to fruition. Would that be a safe estimate to maybe say? I think they have a, a record on administrations and Congresses coming in and changing their priorities and moving things around and just not sticking to anything for a long period of time. But uh, but they have a lot of projects, yes. But we just saw you know, the one of the biggest and most expensive ones go up and it's working extremely well, the Webb telescopes. So uh, kind of cut them a little slack on some things. Yeah, NASA is one of those things like when they get it right, they really get it right, like spectacularly right. And when it's wrong, it's really spectacularly wrong. Well, so, space yeah. is expensive. So if it, if it works, it's great. If it doesn't, it's a, a huge cost. So, yeah, it is. However, uh, today you turned your scientific prowess towards a different topic. Um, you, like everybody else, has been talking about uh, gun violence. Um you had a piece in ordinary-times.com where I felt a little bit of frustration from you about the, the gun debate. You did what you do as a scientist. You decided to just go and look at the data. What got you to go in and looking at the data besides just the fact that everybody was yelling at each other over it? Well, it was, it was partly an outgrowth of where I've been thinking about these mass shootings in general. You know, the analogy I made in another article was to plane crashes. Plane crashes are extremely rare, but when one happens, we investigate every step of what happened to try to figure out whether it's preventable, what went wrong, what we can do differently. You know, for example, one of the most famous ones was a flight out of Chicago where the engine fell off the plane and it flipped over and crashed and everyone was killed. And, you know, don't have engines fall off a plane is a pretty obvious answer. But the NTSB went through every step of the way. All right. Was there a problem in the way the plane was designed? Was there a problem in the way the plane was maintained? And was there a problem with the way the plane was flown? Was there a problem with the way the pilots reacted? To try to go through every step. Because what people in, in the airline industry talk about with plane crashes is the cascade. Planes have so much redundancy and pilots are so well-trained that you have to have a lot of things go wrong in a row for, one to, for a plane to crash. And so what they do is they look through everything that went wrong. Like there's six things that went wrong. What are we gonna do about those six? With the plane in Chicago, there, were a, there was a maintenance issue with how they were maintaining the engines. 
they figured out, hey, we need to start inspecting these planes to look for cracks that may indicate another thing is going to happen. In this case, there was just a, a piece of bad luck that a hydraulic line was severed when the engine came off the plane. And also some training. The pilots didn't realize right away what had happened. And so they might have been able to still land if they'd, if they'd had a, a better training for a once-in-a-lifetime event. And I thought about that in terms of when we see one of these mass shootings, it seems to me we're looking at single point failure. We're looking at, you know, last, a couple of weeks ago, we heard a teacher left the door open. That turned out not to be true. But if a teacher leaving a door open is the difference between 19 kids dead and no kids dead, we have a serious problem. You, you have to look at these things as cascades. Did this person show mental health problems? Did they tell people what they were gonna do and the warnings were ignored? Could a red flag law have denied them a weapon? You know, could better security have prevented this? Could it have minimized it? You know, we're focusing with Uvalde a lot on the police response, and we should because it's looking like it was they really messed up. But we can't ignore all the steps that went up to that point. And so, you know, I think we need to. You know, the NIJ has a study out starting to look at these things systematically and seeing what they have in common. And like one of the things they found is that half of mass shootings, the mass shooter leaked his plans. He told someone what he was going to do. He put something on social media saying what he was going to do. And maybe if we pay more attention to that, we can prevent one. And, you know, you want to be careful with that. You don't want to do what they did in one city where they arrested a 10-year-old and perp walked him because he made a stupid threat. You want to approach these more uh, organically. But we need to start looking at every step of the way. You know, mental, you know, people say, oh, it's mental health. Oh, it's gun control. Well, look at all of them so that you build layer after layer of security that stands between some one who's disturbed and a bunch of dead people. And, you know, unfortunately, these debates have a tendency to devolve into gun control because people, you know, a lot of people say we need to get control of the guns. And the other side sort of responds with anything but guns. And I think those are a part of it. I mean, I have my biases. I'm, I'm very pro Second Amendment. But I think that has to be part of the discussion. Since the discussion tends to revolve around guns, when I looked at that, I found that a lot of people are making claims that the data don't really support, or even if they do support, they're kind of out of context and need a little bit more of a broad view to, to get to uh, the actual point. And one of the problems with an issue like gun control, when you look at the data, you can always find a study that will tell you what you want to hear, because there are thousands of studies out there, and you'll always find at least one study that says this will work, or this will not, or this, this is a waste of time. What you have to do is you have to sort of look at the entirety of the data and try to pull the signal out of the noise. Now, there's been two groups that have done that. The National Resource Council in 2004 did a meta study of gun control, and their conclusion was we need more study. There wasn't anything really clear that jumped out from the data. And a few years ago, the Rand Corporation did another meta study, and they did find some things work. Um, they found, for example, that... Uh, Background checks are really good for reducing uh, gun violence. They found that denying weapons to domestic abusers seems to be useful. They found that child safety provisions are very useful in cutting down uh, gun deaths. Uh, other policies are not supported by the data. And that doesn't mean they don't work. That just means we don't have the data to claim they work. And so to me, that was, I, I've been pushing the RAND study a lot because this to me is the first time we've ever looked at this systematically and said, okay, what works? What doesn't, and where can we go with that? Yeah, and before we get into the individual claims that you wrote about in ordinary-times.com, 
isn't a lot of this because I've been thinking about it too. Isn't this kind of an eternal problem when you really strip this down to okay, what's what's the core problem here? Isn't this the the real core problem that we have in a representative of we're going to have we're trying to legislate an outlier that applies to the majority of folks. And anytime you're trying to legislate or write policy for outliers, you're always going to have a big mess on your hand because they're just that they're outliers. But you've got to make some kind of rule for everybody that can be applied to a lot of other areas. But it's really true. Like you said, plane crashes. You know, we have rules for plane crashes. We have rules for mass shootings. Isn't that kind of the core problem that makes this really hard to deal with when you start talking about systematically? Yes, I think when you when you think in terms of, uh, of policy, whether it's gun control, mental health, school security, when you think of that in terms of mass shootings, these things are incredibly rare. They're about 1% of gun violence. Now, I, I get into this in the piece that there, that depends on how you define a mass shooting, et cetera, et cetera. But when we're talking about what most of us think of a mass shooting as someone just getting a gun and blowing away a bunch of strangers, those are incredibly rare. The vast majority of gun violence is the day-to-day murders on the streets. And in fact, the most, the biggest part of gun violence, uh, if you want to call it that, is suicide. More people die from guns from suicide than die from, hot, um, from killing other people. And, you know, that's certainly uh, something that can be addressed with mental health. I mean, you talk a lot about veterans issues. Veterans have a much higher rate of suicide than the general populace. And so that's been talked about a lot. Uh, you know, can, is there something we can do to prove, you know, care for PTSD and so forth? But one of the things I like about the RAND study is it doesn't just look at mass shootings. It looks at all of these things. So let's say you enhance background checks. That might not prevent every mass shooting. It might only prevent a couple. But if that would prevent more homicides and suicides in general, then I think you, you can talk about that policy being justified. Yeah, talking to our friend, Dr. Michael Siegel. Let's get into some of these claims. Uh, here's one I've heard a lot. Uh, I was actually on British uh, radio and media uh, the day the shooting happened in Uvalde. Uh, and this one got thrown at me. Uh, the claim is other countries don't have this level of violence. What does the data actually say? I know we get that that 12 point, uh, 12 to the population number thrown around a lot, but what does the actual data say? The data says that that's, that that's true. Um, we have a lot more gun violence than other countries. You know, we're more comparable to countries that we would think of as being less developed than us. You know, we have a, several times the amount of gun violence that other countries do. Canada, for example, has 2.0 homicides uh, per 100,000. We have six. You know, I mean, even countries like Iran and so forth have lower homicide rates than we do. And so we definitely do have a, a violence problem in this country. I mean, you can compare to other countries like Mexico or something like that, where they have way higher rates. But in, in terms of developed countries, we're way towards the bottom uh, in terms of uh, the amount of uh, bloodshed that's going on. Yeah, we're talking to Dr. Michael Siegel. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to go through some of these other claims uh, piece by piece. We've got a great piece out at ordinary-times.com. We'll be right back with our scientist friend, Dr. Michael Siegel, right after this.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, welcome back to Herd Tell. We're again with our friend, Dr. Michael Siegel, uh, talking a little science today because he's turned his scientific prowess towards the gun debate, what the data actually says down below all the noise and the hollering. Uh, here's a claim I hear a lot. Um, I feel it's probably, uh, it's one of those that sounds one way, but then looks another when you look at it on a graph. Uh, the disparity is because the U.S. has so many guns. There's so much gun violence because the U.S. has so many guns. What does the data actually say about that claim, though? Well, on its face, that, that claim is, is true. If you look at other countries with gun ownership and violence, we, you know, they sort of form a cloud of data points at one end of the scale, and then we're way off in both. We have way more guns and way more violence. But whether you can assume those things are true, that one causes the other, is a little bit trickier. Because if you look at other countries... There's no correlation between the amount of gun ownership and the amount of homicide going on. And certainly not between the amount of gun ownership and the amount of suicide. I mean, South Korea, for example, has a way higher suicide rate than us and a very, very low gun ownership rate. And that's because of cultural issues that they have that high suicide rate. So you have to sort of take those out. But if you look at other countries, just leave the United States out and you look at whether there is a connection between gun violence and gun ownership, it really doesn't hold up that well. And so what you do is you say, well, other countries have low levels of guns, low levels of violence. The U.S. is up here. Therefore, that's a connection. If you have one data point that's defining your relation, that's not really a relation. And I'm not saying that there's not a connection. There might, there, there, there probably is, but that's not, you can't just say that without putting it into the context that we are an outlier in every sense of the word. We have way more guns than other countries. We have way more violence than other countries. We're sort of a, a data set of one compared to the rest of the world. And just some basic, if you're teaching a basic science class, a data set of one is always going to kind of be iffy when you're trying to make some kind of a conclusion, right? Yeah. If you have one cloud of data points and one outlier, you can't really draw a conclusion from that. And so, you know, you Again, I'm not saying there's not a connection. I'm saying that when you compare us to other countries, that's a tricky conclusion to draw because the United States is its own thing. It's very different from other countries. All right, and here's with a other countries, that gun ownership rate and the amount of murders going on is really not connected. All right, so here's another claim. We hear this one a lot. Uh, uh, the violent places in the US all have strict gun control laws. Now, on the face of it, I know this one because we hear it all the time. Uh, usually it's they point at Chicago or somewhere like that. We understand they're meaning uh, urban areas, but let's just take that claim on its face. The violent places in the U.S. all have strict gun control laws. What's the data say? The data says that's true, but it's also tricky to interpret what that actually means. That, for example, in Chicago, half the guns that are in Chicago are, when they're traced, come from outside of the state entirely. So... Yes, most violent violence is concentrated in cities, although we get a lot of in rural areas too. But 
you know, guns are small, guns are portable. They cross state lines, they cross city lines. Many of the guns that are used for crimes are illegally owned anyway. So you can't necessarily draw a conclusion between those things. And if you look at things on a state level, you'll find that the states with the highest murder rate are red states. They're places like Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee. You know, Illinois is barely in the top 10 in terms of murder rate. New York and California are much, much lower. And so you can't really say that places with more gun control have more violence because when you look the when you look at things, it's not that clear at all that you have those things. Cities have a lot of violence. They also have a lot of uh, trafficking of guns, of illegal guns and so forth. So you could argue that maybe the gun control laws in those cities aren't effective at knocking down the violence. I certainly think that's a, a reasonable conclusion to draw, but you can't necessarily say that that you know, necessarily means that, that, uh, that the two are connected. All right, here's one that I've heard a lot in the media lately. Uh, mass shootings are happening more often. Now, I, I, know, I know one data point that makes that one a little iffy right off the top, but I'll let you tell the story. Uh, it reminds me of the old Clinton, you know, well, it depends on the definition of is. Mm -hmm. uh, but mass shootings are happening more often. Where do you find that claim when you go to look at the data? Uh, that claim seems to be true, but it depends a little bit on how you define mass shootings. Um, the... A lot of the gun control advocates define it as, for example, the gun violence archive defines it as where at least four people are shot. So if you have a drive-by shooting or some gang violence, that counts as a mass shooting. That's not what most people think about when they talk about mass shootings. Now, Mother Jones has been compiling a database for about 10 years where they define a mass shooting as having four more people dead that is not connected to the drug trade or robbery. So that's more of what we think of where someone gets an AR-15, goes into a building and just starts randomly shooting. That shows that it has been slowly increasing for the 21st century, but in the last five years, it's just spiked dramatically. We are getting way more of these incidents uh, where people just get a gun and blow away a bunch of people. And it's not clear why that's happening. Uh, that's kind of the scary thing. Now, there was an article written, I think, uh, in The Atlantic about five years ago that talked about mass shootings as a kind of social contagion, that when mass shootings happen, people see they happen, that gives them the idea to do it. And there are online communities where people talk about these things and express admiration, for example, the Columbine shooters and talk about, oh, I'm gonna have the best methods, I'm gonna have the maximum body count. And it's hard to know what to make of that. It's the internet, people talk smack on the internet, that's what happens. But uh, this was pointed out five years ago that this was a social contagion and that things might get a lot worse. And I think when you when that, when you make a prediction, things are going to get worse because this is a social contagion and things get worse. I think that's a good sign that there may be something to do that. Continuing with our friend, Dr. Michael Siegel. Okay, here's one. Uh, mass shootings, this is a claim, mass shootings dramatically increased since the assault weapons ban expired. Now, the assault weapons ban, that was a Clinton era initiative, 1994 to 2004. That was in effect. It was uh, the brainchild of one Senator Joe Biden at the time, now President Joe Biden. Uh, he loves to tout this one because that was one of his signature accomplishments in the Senate. But is it true? Claim mass shootings dramatically increased since the assault weapons ban expired. What does the data say? I would say that's not really, really well supported by the data. Um, we had plenty of mass shootings when the assault weapons ban was in place. Uh, Columbine was a mass shooting, and that happened while the assault weapons ban was in place. 
after the assault weapons ban expired, you did see this slow increase, but it was a very gentle increase. It's really in the last five years where things have spiked. Now, maybe you could say that's because the assault weapons ban expired. I don't think so, since it, it started about 14, 15 years after that. Most there, there are a few papers that make this claim that violence went up dramatically after the assault weapons ban, but the bulk of research and what's summarized in the RAND study is that the assault weapons ban had a low or minimal effect on violence. And mainly because most of the gun deaths, most of the gun violence in our society involve handguns or rifles and handguns especially are just dominate. So assault rifles, even at the peak of the ban, were only a few percent and even now are still only a few percent of gun violence. All right, here's another good one just because of the way it's phrased. Uh, claim all the studies show gun control works all the studies never show anything. You know, you can find studies that will say that smoking does not cause lung cancer, even though it's one of the most robust scientific results out there. Sometimes you get bad data. Sometimes, especially when you're talking about 50 states in this country with various gun laws, and especially because gun violence isn't monocausal. It's not just that guns drive it. There are other things that drive this, the, the amount of gun violence going on. And so it's very, very difficult to pick out what policy, what change is causing what thing to happen. And so I think that the, again, referring back to the RAND study, that's the most comprehensive one. That's the meta study. That's the one that tries to filter the studies, figure out which ones are garbage, throw those away, figure out how to weight them and so forth. And they do show some policies work. As I said, background checks, very well supported by the data. Uh, other things, very well supported by the data. But they don't show that it has a huge dramatic impact. You know, we have these sort of camps where some people want to say gun control doesn't work. And some people want to say, if we had gun control like Europe, we'd have European violence rates. I don't think either of those hypotheses is supported by the data. There is evidence that some gun control works, background checks in, in particular, uh, child safety laws, those things uh, do, do seem to be supported by the evidence. But even then, that doesn't show that if we pass those kind of laws, we would get down to European style uh, gun violence. Now, there's a couple more in this uh, that you wrote about these different claims. I'm going to skip down to the last one because it's one we hear a lot because, you know, we have time limits here. Uh, Australia banned many guns and their homicide rate went down. That's the claim. How, what does the data say? This is true, but you have to look a little bit at a, at a different picture. After Australia banned, had their big gun ban and buyback of guns, their homicide rate dropped 40% over the next uh, 10 years or so. But that happened everywhere. The United States saw a 60% drop in homicides. The UK saw about a 50% drop. France saw a huge drop. Every developed country from the mid to 90s to the early 2000s saw a huge drop in murder and gun violence and crime overall. No one really knows why that happened. There are a lot of theories about there. One I'm kind of partial to is the lead theory that lead in our environment, in the 1970s, 80s, we started getting rid of lead and lead does damage the brain, uh, hurt impulse control. And so one of the hypotheses is that as the amount of lead dropped, the people's ability to think through the consequences of their actions, you know, violent tendencies were diminished and that was happening worldwide. I'm not completely sold on that hypothesis, but it is one that a lot of people uh, put credence to. But Yes, Australia saw a drop in crime. Everywhere in the developed world saw that same drop in crime. Australia was not an outlier. They weren't, they didn't see a way more drop in crime than the United States did. In fact, they saw a little bit less than we did. 
So your correlation is not causation. Just because you do something does not mean what follows is connected to it. Sometimes it is. It's a good way to place to start. But when you put Australia's crime stats in context with other countries, it really doesn't show a dramatic impact. So to kind of wrap all this up with our friend, Dr. Michael Siegel, um, one thing we do know all of this data says, although it's desperate data, it does all say that there's not going to be one single piece of gun legislation that fixes all of our problems with this mass shooting. Is that accurate to say with the data that you're saying? I would say that that would be very accurate. Um, I, w- I would say that there seems to be evidence supporting in- improving the background check system. Um, there seems to be data supporting red flag laws, um, although those are very early, so it's hard to tell. There seems to be data supporting uh, child safety provisions. But you know, again, think of it as the air cr- airplane crash model. We're trying to put layer after layer after layer that goes between uh, uh, someone and committing a murder or committing a suicide for that matter. And so we can't think of this as a one size fits all. We can't think of this as this one policy is going to solve this problem or this even this group of policies is going to solve this problem. We have to think of this as step after step. It is mental health. It is you know, possibly gun control. It is better security. It is looking for warning signs. It is better monitoring of social media. All of those things com- combined will, will help. You know, the analogy I used in the piece was that you know, a single thread of twine won't hold up uh, a basketball. But if you wind enough together, you can hold up a piano. One policy is not going to drop our huge rate of homicide and suicide. But a whole bunch of policies in different areas that work together, that put layer after layer between someone and a death, I think those uh, those can help. Yeah, and it goes back to what you said. Anytime you have um, systemic cascading failure, there was a whole lot of accountability that wasn't done ahead of time, which is a big part of this. We're seeing this with the police in Uvalde. But like even the Buffalo shooter, you know, they're, the background check system as it is, a lot of the times these guys go through even with the background checks. So a lot of this, I think they need to just work on what they've got to start with which would be easy enough to do. Uh, Dr. Michael Siegel, always appreciate your time, sir. Let folks know where they can find you. This piece is up at ordinary-times.com. We'll make sure to link to it and uh, let folks know where they can find you on your social media and follow you for all your great space hot takes and your YouTube channel, which is a ton of fun. Um, I'm at ordinarytimes.com. I'm also at, uh, if you go to uh, how underscore RTFLC on Twitter, you'll find my Twitter feed where I have links to my videos and Ordinary Times pieces and all that. And uh, that's where you go. Great stuff, my friend. Always appreciate you. Um, Good job on this data stuff. Always appreciate you breaking down. It's so good that even I can understand it. You do good work, sir. Appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Anytime, sir. Thank you.